1: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, September the 12th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. Today on September 12, 2013, Voyager 1, it launched 36 years earlier, became the first man-made spacecraft ever to leave the solar system, as far as we know. Today in 1959, the TV Western series Bonanza premiered on NBC, Today in 1962, in a speech at Rice University in Houston, President John F. Kennedy reaffirmed his support for the manned space program. He said, quote, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and to do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And today in 1987, reports surfaced that Democratic presidential candidate Joseph Biden, Yes, that Joseph Biden, that he had borrowed without attributing any of it, passages of a speech by British Labour Party leader, this Neil Kinnick, for one of his own campaign speeches. Biden just stood up and read the speech, and it wasn't even his words. It was Connects. Well, we do that all the time. I quote people all the time on this program, and everyone does. Pastors do preachers that are communicating they quote other sources and certainly quote the Bible but you say where you're what you're quoting but not Biden oh no and this wasn't the only one it just happened to that it happened today it became public but uh, this Neil connect he, he heard about it and it became an international story. I remember it well. And I thought, boy, that guy's never going to have a chance. The other part of that is that that isn't mentioned in the h- historical profile of things that happened today was that uh, Biden was only carrying about three percent of the vote too. He, he did not have a strong uh, <coughs> following. Excuse me. So that was part of it. But that the the main reason, the thing that brought it to a head, was the fact that it became public. It's called the Connect Report, and there were other damaging revelations uh there as well as well as his not having a very strong showing not very many people were going to vote for him anyway but he dropped out of his uh campaign for the white house yesterday he but he continues to do to lie he's just pathological yesterday he he falsely claimed if in alaska uh, you know n- not any of the sites where the terrorists attack america on on 9 11 he's he's up in alaska he can't I, I don't know if he can't face the truth or what his deal is but yesterday he was claiming that he visited ground zero in new york the day after which would be today and he didn't he wrote a book a few years ago, or someone wrote it. He It was supposedly by him. I'm sure he had help with it. But in the book, he talks about how he he was in Washington, D.C. the day after. And the records show that he was indeed in Washington, D.C. But yesterday he stood up and he, and he claimed that he was in New York City the day after It was attack, he said, the World Trade Centers were hit and collapsed, making the 22nd anniversary, you know, and Islamic terrorist attacks on the United States. He's talking about all this stuff. And during his remarks, in this speech to American troops there in Alaska, he claimed to have been at ground zero in New York City on September 12. He said, ground zero, New York. I remember standing there the next day and looking at the bill, I'm quoting him the President of the United States, lying to the world. He said, I remember standing there the next day and looking at the building. He said, I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell. It looked so devastated because of, well, where you could stand. That's a quote. And they say he got 80, what, 81 million votes last election. <laughs> Come on. I don't know. Today in 2001, stunned rescue workers continued to search for bodies in the World Trade Center's smoking rubble. A day after the terrorist attack that shut down the financial capital had badly damaged the Pentagon and it left thousands of. Thousands dead. President George W. Bush was there. He was branding the attacks in New York and Washington as acts of war. He spoke of a monumental struggle of good versus evil. And George Bush said that, quote, good will prevail. Well, we know that it will biblically. It will prevail. In fact, speaking biblically, Reading in Isaiah chapter 24, talk, this whole chapter he's talking about the wrath of God and the and the, the workings of the Lord against evil. In, in chapter 24, Isaiah, he said, I'm not going to read the whole thing, of course, we don't have time, but I would like to, but I'd like to read what he says after that too. But in chapter 24, Isaiah wrote, Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty and maketh it waste and turn it. Turneth it upside down and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. And he continues on that note, verse after verse after verse. Verse 5, he said, The earth is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Verse 20, he says, The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage, and the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not rise again, and so on. Then he begins chapter 25, after all of this, he begins chapter 25, the prophet Isaiah, he says, O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee, I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. The world can be reeling like a drunken sailor on the deck of a ship and faithfulness and truth are God's hallmark. He never fails and his word is always true. That will never change in a changing world, in changing circumstances. Your circumstances may be out of control. You may feel like that drunken person staggering around trying to get your balance because of circumstances, things that have come into your life, things that have happened that were unforeseen. Certainly our culture is experiencing that. There's no question about that. The world in general is experiencing that. But the faithfulness of God and the truth of God will never fail. Great is thy faithfulness. We can sing it again and again and again because it's true. God is in control. Everything looks like it's out of control. And it is as far as the human dimension, but God's in control. He knows the beginning and the end. He is in control. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, he said this morning that he will inform House Republicans on Thursday, day after tomorrow, that an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden is the logical next step. He said that is the next step in the investigation of the, of the Biden family. The meeting uh, is, will happen on Thursday morning at 8 o'clock Eastern time. He said the meeting will happen. Then he said it's going to be a closed-door leadership session. He said it's going to, we're going to give lawmakers uh, an update. I guess it's going to be a very candid update. They have a lot of uh, information about what's going on with the Biden family, and they have uh, uh, things that support that. And this update it's a, it, it will be on the probe by the White House Oversight Committee. The, the chair, Jamie Comer, and he, he's really a, a sharp guy. He's on it. He's a Republican from Kentucky. And House Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan, and he, too, is one of the bright lights in, in Congress, I, I just so appreciate the guy. I mean, he's he's the real deal. And so anyway, they're they're going to be discussing this behind closed doors. And uh, on Thursday, McCarthy plans to say that the two chairs have uncovered enough in, uh, information that necessitates the House formalizing the impeachment inquiry in order to obtain the Bidens' uh, bank records and other documents. They're of course not cooperating. And uh, this step is has to happen in order for to give the Speaker of the House and the others the the power to obtain the bank records, which show it is said, uh, and the people that are saying it are pretty reliable that there's all kinds of money flowing into these shell corporations that the Biden family has set up and into the bank, and the banks have been saying, I guess for two or three years, they've been they they've been reporting that it, there was suspicious uh, deposits being made and transferred and through several different shell corporations. I mean, they're just a, a facade. And ending up in in these various Biden uh, family members' bank accounts. And they're coming from, you know... Other countries, not individuals, but from countries, uh, some from individuals, but individuals with a lot of influence in those countries and so on. It, it's just a mess. I mean, it's it's like a kind of a B movie, you know, the gangster movie kind of a thing. I mean, that's what it looks like to me. That's what I think of when I read about what they know. And there's probably a lot they don't know yet, but they do know enough to make this step. So it remains to be seen whether there you know, are 218 House Republicans who will vote to authorize an impeachment inquiry to take this next step. I would have thought, I mean, just dumb me, I would have thought that, I mean, it's kind of a given. I mean, knowing what we know, just the public, you would think that they would at least want to take the step for an inquiry because the impeachment inquiry, because it's not voting to impeach him yet. There's just an inquiry. It's the next step. But there's some that are, are really digging into their heels. They're not going to go. They say they're not going to go along with this. There's Representative Ken Buck from Colorado and Don Bacon from Nebraska. They, they are acting real skeptical to the press. They, they don't think we need an impeachment inquiry and, and so, uh, you know, they don't think they're going to go along with this. They don't see where this is necessary. We need to come together and we need to all work together and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's great, but we're not, and we're not going to. We're not all going to come together. The divide is too deep, and it doesn't run along political, political lines. It runs along moral lines. And half of America is not going to throw their morality overboard so we can all come together and work with Joe Biden to accomplish his agenda which is immoral and deadly so it's not going to happen we're not going to come together and these guys are just that's just a facade they're not really republicans in my view so that's what's happening and will that'll play out and the news will spin it on Thursday but that what i just shared with you is what is actually Uh, planned to happen in that respect. It is a big deal. The Biden forces, uh, the darkness of this administration will come against this effort for sure. For many Americans, the fondest memories of their childhood, or at least one of the fondest memories of their childhood, revolve around a library card. I remember as a kid going to the library and I would check out books And I would read those books. I read a lot. I read Zane Gray and a whole bunch of that stuff. And uh, there was a a Christian series, and it was in our library where I grew up. And it was a Christian series about this baseball player, Tom Hunter. (laughs) And he was a a baseball star and a basketball star and a football star. And I really identified with that. I was none of the the above, but I, I, I thought that was cool, and I could kind of get into it with him. And it was a Christian-themed book. It was one of the first Christian-themed books, I think, that was out there that was that type of book. So I would read those, and I would read—there was another series. It was kind of an orange book, and it was in our library, our public library. And I would check those out, and it was on Booker T. Washington, and it was on Eli Whitney, and it told the story of their life and how they they invented these things. And then I would read those books as a kid, it was really great. So I I have fond memories of that, but from searching through the stacks of— to getting a return date stamped on the book in a new favorite book. Libraries were kind of a quintessential part of, of, of our life. And many of us back then, we learned stuff, we engaged. And we saw friends there, kind of like when we, remember when we used to go, actually go vote, sign in and vote in a little booth and things like that. You know, here in the Northwest, we're all into, you know, mail in vote because it's easier to manipulate. But now the head of the American Library Association, the ALA, and I mentioned this last week, but now they have have this radical conference at a convention, and they're saying that the local library needs to be a site of socialist organizing. No longer is it this place where we come and we do this. How did we get from where we started with public libraries to where we are today. And I want to talk a little bit about that today. I mean, it's alarming and everybody should be aware of that. I mean, I'm not saying don't go to the library, but I'm almost saying that because it's it's now by, their, by the people who are running the library system, it's now becoming a platform to advance this this hellish idealism of the far, far left. And it's immoral to the core. The establishment of the modern public library system, for the most part, I think in America, was pretty much, as in most cases, is attributed to Benjamin Franklin. He founded the Library Company of Philadelphia in 1731, and he raised money from some of the wealthiest people in the colonies back in in those days. And this marked kind of the beginning of the concept of a free and an open library accessible to the general public. They had them in, in Europe, of course, in, in England and so on. But he, he was kind of the guy that brought it. There were others. But later, Andrew Carnegie was also the richest man in the world at one time. He, uh, he came, came as a dirt poor kid from Scotland to the U.S. And by the 1880s, he'd built an empire and steal then he gave most all of it away, $60 million, which, you know, that's a lot of money today, but boy, is that a lot of money back then. In the 1880s, he'd built this empire, gave the money, put it in to fund a system of 1,689 public libraries across the country. He donated 300,000 to build the Washington, D.C., the oldest library in 1903, inscribed above the doorway, interestingly enough, of that building in D.C., it's a beautiful building. It says, this building was dedicated to the diffusion of knowledge. But now activists in our times have taken that, and they've taken the investment made just like they do with every institution. Churches, religious people, Christians, not just religious people, but Christians and church groups started almost all of our major universities in the country for the first number of years that this country existed. It was the churches, starting with Harvard and Reverend John Harvard, himself a pastor and a teacher. They started these universities to educate kids in a biblical worldview and in a classical education. And now look where we are today. Well, the libraries are falling into the same pit. They're in the pit already. They have fallen. The conference this conference talked about abolishing the family, replacing mothers and fathers with collective parenting, forming a mass movement to protect children's right, to protect children's right to engage in prostitution. The association publicly distanced itself, the American Library Association, from their leadership, but they can't distance themselves because the woman that's leading this is the president of the American Library Association. So they can say all the words they want, but the deeds that are happening are driven by this crazed woman who is a communist, socialist, Marxist to the core. The association publicly is trying to distance themselves, but... Nobody believes that if they know, but most people just don't know what's happening with our libraries. The stand, that's the news arm of the uh, Family Research Center, it's reporting yesterday that M- Emily Drabinsky, and I, the name may be familiar if you listen every day. day. I actually talked about her and I talked about this a little bit back when she first got, became the president of it. It's been several weeks ago. I can't remember which date, but we talked about that. But they're reporting it again, and I credit them, as we always tell you our sources. Uh, Emily Drabinsky, the president of the American Library Association, she describes herself as a Marxist lesbian, She asked attendees of the Socialism 2023 conference in Chicago to turn schools and libraries into centers of radical agitation. This conference just took place. It just just concluded last week. It was September 1 through September 3 was organized by more than 70 socialist organizations. Drabinsky told speakers at one panel that she agreed with, quote, your point that public education needs to be a site of socialist organizing. I think libraries really do too, she said. I'm quoting her. She continued, quote, classroom libraries, but also school libraries of all kinds. She added, there's a real opportunity here to both connect what's happening in the public education with what's happening in libraries. She concluded at that moment, she had a lot more to say, but she concluded this part with this. We need to be on the agenda of socialist organizing. Although the American Library Association, as I said, did I, and they said, well, we don't agree with everything she said. They elected her. She's running it. It's like electing Joe Biden Said, well, I don't really want socialism, and I don't want all this stuff that he's doing, and I don't want him, to, the president of the United States, to be advocating for the LGBTQ, transgender, I've got your back, and all that stuff. I mean, Christians are doing that, too, in our day and time. You vote for someone who's going to advance those policies, and then you say, well, I don't believe in that. I mean, I don't want that. Then don't vote for those people. I mean, it's real simple. That's why we are in the mess we are today. The support for hijacking another American institution, the public library, is well underway. The ALA is skipping down the path of no return with encouragement and support from the top. And your tax dollars are paying their bills. President Joe Biden's first campaign accused conservatives of banning books. First campaign ad just came out the other day. And he talks about the, the Republicans are try, are banning books. What he's talking about is in school libraries. And parents are taking a stand, and they are trying to get those books out of there. The books are demonic in their content. He's talking about libraries furnishing adolescents with such titles as, as Maya Kobabe's Gender Queer. That contains explicit illustrations of man-boy pedophilia. They're talking about Jonathan Avision's lawn boy. That contains a boy, a little boy, fondly reminiscing about performing fellatio on a growing man. And I mean, this stuff is what they're trying to push down our kids' throat. And the president supports it. His first ad, his first campaign ad, talks about those people. That would be all of us ordinary parents out here trying to ban books. This is, this is not just a political process that's taking place. This is much more than that. We're not, we're not competing against flesh and blood. We're competing against the power of darkness. The power of darkness, Satan himself trying to seek and destroy our children before they could even mature. And these people are the enablers. This is nothing. There's nothing sacred to the left, including this president, not even our children's innocence. The attack on America's children has taken yet another destructive step. It wasn't enough to allow old perverted men to act like women in front of five-year-old kids and call it a drag queen in the library performance. Oh no, they couldn't stop with that. Now the President of the United States is promising that if we, the people, re-elect him, he will finish what he has begun. Does the public really know what's happening? They should. When the appropriate time and the opportunity to do so, talk with other people about this. Say, Do you know what's going on in our libraries and our public schools and every institution that good and well-meaning people built in this nation over our history? The Stand, the family research uh, news uh, arm, the Stand, they say uh, despite Drabinsky's uh, radicalism, Montana is the only state so far that has removed its library system and its tax dollars from the ALA. This Meg uh, Kilgannon, uh, senior reporter with the Family Research Council, she says that, The state officials cited Drabinsky's socialism in their decision to cut ties with the ALA. Our oath of office and resulting duty in the Constitution forbids association with an organization led by a Marxist. And this was the uh, Montana State Library Commission. But they're the only state to take that action. They just severed ties with them. Every library in the country should do that. Every state should do that. That isn't what was intended with a public library. They have now turned that into a into an activist uh, cell that they can go against what is good and and pure and holy. The family, the children. The A.L.A.'s president statements comes to light thanks to an undercover reporting. We wouldn't even know this stuff, but this Carlin. Um, Borensky, I think, or Borensko, I think that's how you pronounce it. But she's an anti-socialist writer, not a Christian, who describes herself as pro-choice. But she's really opposed to this, and she's going after it. The conference has opened this plenary uh, session in the opening of this uh, seminar or, or convention that took place just this last week. They were talking about they, it was, the first session featured Angelus Davis. Angela Davis is a former member of the FBI's most, 10 Most Wanted List. For, she furnished guns to Marxist criminals who used them to kill a judge some years ago. Davis studied under critical studies thinker Herbert Marcuse. And I've talked about him. He's a Marxist apostle. They talked about becoming a two-time Communist Party USA vice president candidate. Angela Davis was the lead voice on this thing. They talked about a whole bunch of titles. I don't have time to go through all of them, but things like Family Abolition Today, that's advocating replacing the family with a plethora of government programs. The panel's three leading family abolitionist scholars included Sophia Lewis, who promotes surrogacy as a means of eradicating natural family relationships. And this New York University queer studies professor, E. O'Brien, he's the author of Family Abolition, Capitalism, and Communizing Care, making it a communist act to care for children. Another deal there was kids kids as comrades talking about indoctrinating our children, and on and on it goes. There's no end to it. The best thing that parents can do is to pull their children out of the library. I'll see you tomorrow.
0: Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.